Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. And today we're going to be doing a lot of reading, so I hope you are able to follow along as we go ahead and read a lot of the words of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus, which is a good thing always. And so, again, I want to explain a little bit in regards to Luke again in, in his writings. The diversity of Luke's writings and Luke's gospel, again, it's such a blessing and a joy to see. Because he covers all bases. He covers all sorts of different bases. And and again, in the previous chapter of chapter 6, he, he started to document the teaching of the Beatitudes of Christ, which was such an amazing and powerful uh, chapter in regards to teaching. And that was just the beginning. The beginning of the Beatitudes. And so much was given just from that particular little section. And so what Luke would do is it seems like he's going from back and forth as he's recording everything. He recorded everything from, from his actions to his birth, you know, his records, his, his genealogy. From the time he was tempted by Satan, he was recording his, his works and his, his deeds and so on and so forth. And, and his miraculous healings. And again, what I like about Luke is, is that, as I mentioned before, Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. And I've noticed that people, a lot of times, they like to focus on their particular point of interest or maybe their profession. And what I appreciate about Luke, and and considering the fact that he didn't just focus on just one thing, he didn't even focus just on two things, Luke really covered a wide ground of our Lord's doings, his teachings, his miracles, and the things that happened to him, the things he went through. What an amazing thing to have seen. The other Gospels, you know, again, written by Mark and John and and Matthew, I mean, again, diversity at its best, uh, a fisherman, a tax collector, a doctor. And then Mark, you know, at one point was, uh, again, a younger man who was around for part of that time during the time of Christ uh, to have witnessed some of these things as well. And so the diversity in all the four Gospels is appreciated because a lot of people like to use the term, my Jesus. Well, my Jesus is this. My Jesus is that. Well, there is no my Jesus, and there is no your Jesus. There's only one Jesus who was revealed as the Son of God and revealed to us through the Scriptures. And and so, what Luke did, again, like all the others, but what Luke did here is we're in Luke. He made sure that all ground was covered. Nothing was left. Nothing was left out. There wasn't favoritism. There wasn't any form of just focusing on miraculous healings, although there was a lot of that. He focused on everything. And and so that, again, is appreciated as one who wants to know about somebody and who wants to study deeply about the life of somebody. Luke gave the large picture, the big picture of it all. And so as we went through chapter 6. Chapter 6, again, was a majority of the teaching of the Beatitudes. And now Luke jumps in as we're going into chapter 7. We're going to be looking at a lot of healing and, and other things that Jesus did once again. So, so it's never a boring read. Never a boring read. As the diversity is put together here in such, in such perfect form. But we're going to be doing some good amount of reading here, so I hope you could follow along in chapter 7, as there's 50-some verses, or at least 50 verses. And so I wanted to make sure that uh, I made that known, but other than that, we're going to get through this, uh, this chapter at least, uh, just to cover the ground of chapter 7. And I'm going to start us off in verses 1 through 10, which says, Now... 
when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear to him, was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurions sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter into my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well, who had been sick. In the few people of, in faith that Jesus mentioned out loud in the Gospels, uh, we see that the ones that he spoke of were actually Gentiles, which means they weren't Jewish. Uh, but this one was definitely a rare case because he was a Roman centurion. And Romans typically were not popular with the Jewish people. Uh, this one this one was to an extent, but the majority were not normally popular with them. And a centurion was a leader who was in charge of a hundred men. And uh, this particular man uh, was an exception to them as one who had a heart for the people. He even built them a synagogue. And we, we see that he sent Jewish leaders on his behalf. Perhaps he didn't feel worthy of it was, you know, which was normal procedure that a centurion would send messengers on their behalf. So we could see that in two different ways. He probably didn't feel worthy, as he said. And number two, uh, by procedure, he just sent somebody else to be the messenger. But whatever the case, the Lord was becoming known and he was becoming sought out. And the heart of Christ, as we see, is as he rushes to the aid of the centurion. And he was going to enter his house, which, again, was not customary with Jews. You would never find a Jew inside a Gentile home and vice versa. But, you see, the Lord was ready to rush in. It was customary to not be in their homes, but there was no law regarding it in God's law. Which is why Christ was there, which was to bring all together and to fulfill the law. You know, the centurion, he felt unworthy of the Lord coming into his house. But he, made, he was made worthy by his belief in the Lord's abilities. Which is why Jesus was so astonished by the centurion's faith. You know, you don't need to be there, Lord. All you have to do is speak it from wherever you are at and it will be done. And see, the Lord, he knew faith when he seen it, and he knew truth when he seen it. Now, if that centurion invited him uh, for dinner, the Lord would have been there, guaranteed. He would have been there before any rabbi or, or any leader in the Sanhedrin. And, and on a personal note, I would have loved to know more about the centurion and what actually came of his life after. Uh, but the importance of it, uh, of it all was given to us in a simple form. The Lord was willing once again to heal someone. 
But the one in need, who didn't even walk with Christ, and because of his position in that Roman army, he proclaimed who he was and what he could do. And that brings conviction, as those who follow the Lord or, or claim to cannot or do not show the same amount of faith. See, it didn't matter who he was. All he was was an example. Because the spotlight was on the Lord. You know, again, what example, though, through, uh, through this unnamed centurion, and though on how even he met the Lord halfway in faith, that just by your word it will be done. And of course, it gets better as we continue. In verses 11 through 23. Now, it happened the day after that, he went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out. The only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And then he came and touched the open coffin. And those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. And, and then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? In that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As I said, it got better. And it definitely did. See, as the Lord raised the dead, and in this case, with such timing and compassion, here Jesus shows up to a funeral service. A funeral service is devastating. But this was a widow who lost her only son. And this only son would have been her support as well to ancient customs. And, and this widow herself would have been in trouble. Uh, there was no social services back then. Uh, nor did women work to support themselves. There's no life insurance, nothing. Uh, the greatest life insurance policy was right in front of her, Christ Jesus. And again, Luke was a physician. Uh, this was to be noted by him as Christ simply walked up to the open coffin and spoke to the young man as he was alive. See, they automatically, they assumed him to, to be simply just a prophet. 
as they probably actually remembered the known stories of the Old Testament. Okay, the, You take the two greatest prophets of the Old Testament. You have Elijah and you have Elisha. And, and both actually had part in helping uh, with widows and children that had died. As Elijah met a widow who was preparing their last meal, and this was a sad story at the time, as the son and mother were very poor. And they were both ready to die as they're preparing their last meal. And here comes Elijah, the prophet. And then, at some point when he had come and spent some time with them, the boy had died. Elijah carried him up to the top of the room. And he lied him down and fell over him praying diligently for God to help the boy. And then the child arose. But see, notice how Christ simply spoke to the young man's body, and he arose. You know, they didn't realize that the source of everlasting life was amongst them. The others uh, relied on the help and approval of God to raise somebody. But Christ was the source, and he did it more than once. You know, through this we see that, that a message of reassurance was given to John the Baptist of, of who the Messiah really was. Okay, John was probably having doubts while in prison because at this time John the Baptist was in prison. And Jesus in his compassion and understanding told John's disciples to believe in him as, he works, as, as his works proved him to be the Messiah. And while you're at it, tell John that it's going to be just fine. You know, see, John knew the scriptures. And and knew once he heard what was done, that it would all fall right into place. And seeing this shows the Lord's compassion on even those as strong as John the Baptist was, who dealt with doubt. You know, but being in prison when when you've been uh, living outdoors for all those years as John was, it could take its toll on you. Uh, but perhaps John was hoping uh, uh, to be a first-hand witness of all these miracles and, and the overthrowing of the religious and po- uh, political downfalls. I think was a big thing he was really looking for. But we want, we too, want to witness change of things on Earth. You know, some uh, some will, some will not. But the importance of having Christ in our lives is for the sake of eternity with him, regardless of what's going on right here and now. See, we know that he'd fulfilled all things. And now, for us, we just wait upon him. John the Baptist, unfortunately, as I mentioned, again, was in prison, so he was missing out on some of this stuff. And so John the Baptist in his strength was even questioning, I think, at this time, as he knew that his time was about to be up. And so we, we don't want to fault. We don't want to look down on, on him, because even Jesus showed the compassion. As he mentioned that John the Baptist was the greatest man he's ever known. And the neat thing about John the Baptist was John the Baptist always made clear that you were, Jesus was the one whose straps, he wasn't even unworthy of unstrapping his sandals as a slave would in their household when they washed the feet of somebody who came in. And so there was recognition here. 
But John the Baptist just showed that us that he was really, again, he was really a human just like the rest of us who suffered from doubt, who suffered from um, fear. Maybe, we don't know, but it, but he, he definitely showed doubt here in the scriptures. Are you really the one? Well, let's continue here in verse 24 through 35. And when the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you see? Or go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out and see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children, sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came, neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon? The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all her children. You know, I, I gotta, you got to love the Lord's boldness. It, what did you go into the wilderness to see, is, he, is what he asked, okay? John was not there to make a spectacle of himself. Yeah, and one would have to wonder how many out there poked fun at him or mocked him. Okay, Christ exposed some. But, he was fulfilling the prophecy of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1, which was 400 years before the existence of John the Baptist and Jesus. The Lord called him the greatest prophet. And we can see that, the reason for that was because of, the, of those of the past. See, those of the past only spoke of the Messiah. John got to introduce him in person. And Luke definitely covers a diverse ground, as I said, as we observe the healing of the sick, the raising of the dead, and now Jesus is setting straight the hypocrisy of the self-righteous and the doubters being the Pharisees. And, and we're going to see more of them throughout the Gospels. But, see, they were the toughest group to deal with. And why? Because even the tax collectors believed, and they were labeled as crooks with no integrity as they were actually ripping off their own fellow Jews as, as the tax collectors of the day. But they had the hope of belief and repentance, where the Pharisees, who were enforcers of Jewish law, were stuck in their ways. And when I say stuck in their ways, a lot of it was literally their own created laws and rules. Uh, they, they always were against John the Baptist, 
And they even tried to kill Jesus himself when he preached the truth. See, their issue did not seem to be against their consistent teaching as much as it, uh, as they contradicted their religious philosophy. That was the issue. Uh, they were not uh, the wisdom's children that Christ mentioned. Those were the followers who, whose lives were changed. And like the Pharisees, we fall into some uh, into the same traps every so often when we see the pastoral epistles of of First and Second Timothy. The apostle Paul said not to lay hands on someone too quickly when raising one up, because they can fall into the same trap of arrogance as the devil. And simply, it's because many can find reasons to do something or believe something that will suit or justify their purpose. And it was obviously about power, which is what happens when people are put in those positions. Uh, Their belief system becomes both the exception and the rule. But the Lord spoke the truth. And when he spoke, he revealed their flaws and which is where their anger stirred from. So in Luke's diverse writing, we will see another important thing in, in, in the Lord's teaching in verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, as she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom... Little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, I'm actually glad to have ended on that note. You know, as salvation is always offered, 
And, and this woman, who obviously was not a resident or even an invited guest, uh, you know, okay, this, this resilient woman came into the house of a Pharisee. Again, not common for a woman to do that, yet alone one with a known reputation. And it said she had many sins. Typically, prostitution and adultery were more common of known downfalls, but there was probably more that Jesus knew, of course. But see, she knew something that the Pharisee didn't. And and that was that she knew who the forgiver of our debt was. See, she never said a word. Uh, She never even openly confessed what she did. All she did was simply worship him like no other. Her tears and, and, and actions asked for the forgiveness. To the point of even calling out one of his own disciples for his lack of love and worship. And many out there, many out there have asked someone to forgive them for wrongdoings. And though they ask, it didn't always mean it was real. I'm sure we can all remember the days as children uh, when we did something wrong. And our parents, you know, we, they made us apologize, right? Do you ever remember that? Maybe getting drugged by your ear <laughs> or, your, or your mom dragging you by the arm and taking you up to the uh, person that you harmed as a child. And, you, and she said, you apologize right now. And then you look down and you say, sorry. And we know you know, we know that, uh, uh, that our parents made us apologize. But then we would say sorry in that hesitant demeanor. Uh, this woman wasn't forced to repent. Uh, she wanted to. And she did it with love and truth, which is the key. See, to this Pharisee, he had to have been wondering, like, wait a minute. Us Pharisees... But we believe and teach that only God can forgive sins. Well, surprise, guess, who's, who, guess who willingly came to have dinner with you? <laughs> it's interesting how over the years many have battled over the issue of faith and works. And we have seen that Christ himself said that your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, if you have faith in Christ... And what was read, you too can be saved. And after that, all of, all of our works will then be remembered when we received him first in faith. We look at the depth of our sins more than realizing the depth of God's love and forgiveness. And through this gospel of Luke, I pray that we will see the, the, the wideness and the depth of the Lord's mercy. How would you like to go in peace after receiving the Lord, giving you another chance in life, and better yet, receiving you, and giving you a place in heaven? I don't know what could be more peaceful than that. No one one on this earth is without fault of something. Every one of us, whether we do something... uh, Physically, or whether we do nothing physically, but in the mind, we sin, we fall. And, and if the Bible also says that if anyone thinks that they're without sin, then they deceive themselves. 
Well, we're reading about the one who came to forgive all of that. We're reading about the one who came to give us a hope and a purpose. We're reading about the one who had no sin. He came to, to be an example. See, as Luke, again, as, I, as we close... The other other epistles in the Bible speaks about the gifts of the Spirit. And, and gifts are given to us in proportions. We do not possess every gift that there is out there, which is why the body of Christ is needed in the form that it is. There was only one who possessed every single gift, and there was only one who possessed every single gift in perfection, and that was Christ himself. And so he's the one who enables, he's the one who gives those gifts to us, whatever they might be. It could be one, it could even be ten, but we do not possess them all. He does. And only he has the power and the ability to forgive sins. And only he has the ability to say, enter in, well and faithful servant. But that must be done through your choice as well to receive him. And then to walk with him faithfully. If you want to receive him, if you want to be forgiven, if you want to place an eternity with him, don't matter what you've done, don't matter where you've been. We don't know what this woman who washed his feet with her tears did, but it stated that she was a woman of many sins. Well, our Lord is a God of much forgiveness beyond the amount of sins that we could commit. But I want us to I want us to make him known and to receive him with the hope of not continuing to commit those sins. So if you want to receive him in faith, I want to give you the opportunity to say this prayer after me. Dear God, please forgive me. Please forgive me, Lord, of all of my sins. And I confess to you, Lord, that I am a sinner. And I ask, Lord, for you to receive me, Lord. As Lord, as I receive you in my heart right now, as my Father, as my Lord, my Savior, my King. And may I enter into your kingdom, Lord, when my time is up. And I want to thank you for having me, Lord. I want to thank you for dying for me on that cross. So may you wash my sins now, Lord, once and for all, as I receive you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, God bless you. I, I pray that as we continue on through this through this wonderful gospel, as they're all wonderful, but this what we're reading again is just such a joy. I want to I want to invite you to continue to see the richness of our Lord and His His mercy and His grace and His love and all the things that He's doing. See, it wasn't just what He was doing two thousand years ago. It's what he's doing right now as we speak. And those who walk with him are able to talk about what he's doing right now as we speak. So may you be one of them as God keeps you and blesses you. Take care.